Hello, beautifuls. Welcome to Her Sexual Space, a podcast where we create a sex-positive space to engage in empowering discussions for building relational and sexual awareness. Our guest today is Brandy Sellers. Brandy is the owner of Mind Your Heart Counseling, where she practices counseling via telehealth. Brandy graduated with a Master of Science in Counseling from Southern Methodist University. She sees clients with mental health needs around illness, religious deconstruction, and sexuality, with additional training and experience in sex therapy, trauma, EMDR, and oncology. Brandy also loves conducting sex education programs. In addition to counseling, Brandy has been teaching yoga, meditation, and Ayurveda since 2005 and is a certified yoga teacher at the 500-hour level. A two-time breast cancer survivor, Brandy has written for CancerWise.org and speaks to cancer survivors, counselors, and other professionals about cancer survivorship. Brandy's crazy about her three children and lives an artful life with big adventures in McKinney, Texas. Welcome to the podcast, Brandy. Thank you so much for having me. I am very happy to have you, Brandy. Just so our listeners know how we connected, I first came into contact with Brandy at the LPC Intern Summit last winter in Austin, Texas. And Brandy presented on a very unique niche, um, which was an eye-opener for me and I'm sure most of the interns in that group because no one else had presented on, on a topic such as, as as chronic illness and cancer. So I was happy to be in that group and to listen in on your conversation about that. So thank you for taking on that task <laughs> to be <bring laughs> at present at that summit. Yes, it was my pleasure. I do, to your point, think it is a very um, under-focused topic. Yeah, and not something that we touch very much on in grad school. So you're doing a lot of educating and I commend you for that. So why not share with us, you know, what brought you to specialize in oncology, religious deconstruction and sexuality? Well, it's kind of three different things. Um, oncology, I, I'm a cancer survivor myself, and, and I was diagnosed with breast cancer when I was 37. And I realized through that process that I was unique and that I was really, I was considered young in the cancer world. Um, and that there weren't really a lot of counselors or and there wasn't enough qualified mental health support. And that's actually why I decided to go to graduate school. Um, also, in my experience, I realized that cancer really impacts people's sexuality. And it mm-hmm. did not seem like anybody was talking about that. So that's kind of how those two things came to be, that I started studying sex therapy. And also, when I was in graduate school, every single paper I wrote was basically like whatever the subject of that class was and how people with cancer are affected. So like family of origin or lifespan psychology. Um, I just did a lot of research um, and reading about how cancer affects lifespan and sexuality and those things. So, yeah. and say so the religious deconstruction piece was kind of an accident because mm. I, I mean, I have been part of religion um, in the past, but I am not now. But what I noticed is a lot of people who are coming for sex therapy had religious trauma. And because I did have awareness about religion and religious practices and purity culture, I think I've been able to work with those clients in a way that feels non-judgmental to them and for them to be open to exploring what their spirituality means to them, maybe outside Mm -hmm. of religion. 
And it's it's beautiful to see how all of that just came around full circle for you. And I just want to, you know, say kudos to you for surviving what may have been one of the toughest battles of, of your life. And I wonder, um, as you share on that, coming out of that, um, obviously, you know, you you went that way for your career because you saw a lack of certain things. Um, so can you share with us what that was like for you coming out of uh, recovery and coming into a world where you felt like you were almost disassociated from yourself and now you had to come back to that space? Can you share a little bit on that? Sure. I think uh, people who go through cancer treatment and then go into remission, um, breast cancer is a cancer that there is not cured. It's people go into remission. So you really have to learn how to figure out how could you keep living with this sort of shadow that something could go wrong again. And it's not an irrational belief. Like it is something that could really happen. I call it um, like having a foot in the grave, but if you put both feet in the grave, then you're really not, you're not living. And so it's really about learning how do you live with that shadow and that possibility of something, you know, happening again. And I think a lot of people can minimize that, you know, when, when I got out of treatment, basically most people are like, but you're fine now, right? The answer is no. I mean, like the person's body isn't the same. The person's experiences forever change. Um, can it still be great and awesome? Like, yeah, I have a great life and I love it, but it is not the life that I had before. And I still would take that old life back. Well, thank you for sharing that. So I wonder what supports um, did you receive coming out of uh, your treatment? Uh, I didn't receive support really through my medical team as far as like mental health support. I had a visit when I was in the hospital after one of my surgeries from one of the people on the team there, which really wasn't very helpful. So really I was kind of on my own to try to find mental health support that I could afford. And I left actually into a great counselor who was also a cancer survivor. And so I was really lucky in that way. But in my experience, there isn't a lot of really well-organized mental health support, and there's not funding for that either. Yeah, and something that I feel like is much needed because cancer affects a lot of the population, you know, so I think that is something that... Um, you know, you have taken really great steps in, in providing that through your practice. Um, so if you want to share a little bit about your own practice, so your new practice is Mind Your Heart Counseling. Um, how do you provide that support? I provide telehealth. I'm doing all telehealth now, and I don't plan to go back to in-person. Um, it seems like it meets the needs of my clients well, especially during the pandemic. But also, when you're in cancer treatment, you can have a lot of appointments and things that you have to go to every week. And so, just time-wise, it seems to be convenient, and then for physical safety. And, I, you know, I get referrals through some of the healthcare systems and mostly just through friends of friends who, um, you know, someone gets diagnosed, particularly if they're a younger person, because that is a different subset. Um, you know, when you're 70, it's not surprising if you have a health issue, but when you're really healthy in, in your 20s or 30s, it's very surprising. Yeah, so that's how I serve people, mostly through referral and all through telehealth. Nice. So do you do group um, group uh, psycho-ed groups or th group therapy? 
through telehealth as well? I do. Um, I have some on tap for the spring, um, one for like women and pleasure over age 40. And we're, we'll talk partly about menopause, but just partly about sexual health. Um, since none of us really got a great sexual health education at school, um, I think even women over 40, there are still some gaps and it's very healing to talk about sex in a group of women and sexual health. And then also I'm really passionate about sex education for parents so that they can feel comfortable talking to their kids about sex. And I have a group in the spring that I'm planning for that as well. That's awesome. I think that's going to be a really fun class. <laughs> oh, yeah. So important for everybody to be understanding consent. So, yeah, I'm excited about it, too. And I'm sure you certainly identified a need there. That's why you decided to put that on, right? <laughs> yes, for sure. Especially in Texas where... They don't teach consent in school. Thank you so much for taking that on. And I hope to join you with that later on. <laughs> Come on over. Like, we need lots of sexual health educators. Yes, <laughs> that's, that's for sure. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about cancer and how it affects um, sexuality uh, across the lifespan. Um, so we have talked about um, just how it, it affects women in a, in, well, it affects people in their adult years, but for a child who has experienced cancer, maybe let's just talk about just how it affects in that broad sense. Sure. Well, anytime someone who is younger, which will definitely lump people under 40 or 50 in that as well, when you're in the later part of your lifespan, you're really concerned with the meaning of life and the normative experience would be to look back and think, what, what meaning has my life had? But when you have a cancer diagnosis, when you're younger, it puts you into that meaning-making phase also while you're also trying to be a teenager or, you know, for someone in their 30s or 40s who might be working, might have kids, like doing all of these busy life things um, is not the normative time to be thinking about, you know, the meaning of your life, really. It kind of mushes lifespan concerns together that would normally um, not be together. Right. It's like a social developmental yeah, part of it. So mm-hmm. it's, it's weird to be 20 and thinking, you know, what is my life meant? If it ends today, what have I done? Um, that's not a normal experience. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. So for adults now, you know, I wonder how does it affect their sexuality? So after, let's say, you know, during and after um, cancer treatment, um, what what do you often see come up in, in therapy? Well, one of the obvious ways is if you have to have a surgery that removes a, you know, body part that you use. So for breast cancer patients, that could look like mastectomies um, or lumpectomies. And then, um, you know, that can leave people feeling disfigured. Also, for people who have to get their ovaries out or have hysterectomies, um, or for men who get prostatectomies, then that might affect their sexual functioning in that way. So it's like how I feel about my body, how does my body work? But then also it can affect it can affect how our partners see our body, um, how our partners feel about it. Um, and for couples who maybe had 
um, kind of a vanilla sex life where they are just maybe doing missionary style and <laughs> they don't have a lot of other things in their sexual toolkit. Yeah. If their one or two activities gets taken away, that can be really depressing because then they might think that they can't have sex anymore. So, you know, part of my job as a sex therapist is to help people understand there are so many ways to be sexual that can be amazing. And after cancer treatment, a lot of times people have to kind of rethink and explore how to be sexual in different ways. So I wonder, where do you begin with that? You know, it, it sounds like exciting work for sure, but I'm sure you've, you're being met sometimes with a lot of um, resistance, um, of course, due to maybe religious beliefs. Um, how do you begin to deconstruct and, and present that menu <laughs> to them? You know, I find that pretty much all of my sex therapy work starts with those six sexual health principles, um, consent, non-exploitation, honesty, shared values, protection from STIs and unwanted pregnancy and pleasure. Mm -hmm. And I mean, those touchstones pretty much take care of everything. And then conversations just kind of go from there. And, you know, if there are religious issues around, let's say like solo sex, touching yourself or, um, that sex is for pleasure. We, we talk about that and, you know, everybody gets consent, right? And so if people decide that they don't want to explore and that, um, then we talk about maybe grief about not being able to be sexual then. Um, so I really just try to meet people where they are for sure and, um, work within the bounds of their belief system. For sure. Yeah. That's how we start that work. <laughs> yeah. So let's talk a little bit about menopause. I know we went straight into cancer survivorship. Um, okay. So you also designed a psychoeducational program um, for women who are going through menopause. Um, and I know you also tackle issues with perimenopause as well. I'm sure you see postmenopause as well. Um Tell us a little bit about that and what inspired you to to um, create that, that group. Really what inspired me was going through menopause myself when I was in cancer treatment because of chemotherapy and realizing that I didn't know anything about menopause. <laughs> I didn't know why the hell people don't talk about menopause. Yes. Um, it's so weird that something that happens to literally everybody with ovaries um, is just not discussed and um and there's such a rich community that can be built around that and those shared experiences and and it doesn't I mean it's not terrible for everybody and it doesn't have to be terrible but mm -hmm. this is a huge change I think it is healing to talk about it and share and also as women I think we owe it to each other to share the richness of that experience and tools that we have. Um, mm -hmm. Very bizarre to me that we don't talk about it. Yeah, and I think historically women just did not talk about menopause. And I think all we heard about was hot flashes. I think growing up, that's all I knew about menopause, hot flashes, until I started doing my own research as I started seeing um, older clients. And then I realized that even perimenopause can exist for up to 10 years. Like we're going through those changes and sometimes we don't even know and they could be labeled as a ton of different things. 
So I wonder, where do you begin that conversation? Um, I know, of course, maybe normalizing for sure. But when you see that in treatment, what is your approach? And um, how do you how do you support these women? Well, I think normalizing and education, but also I think we have to accept that hormonal changes can affect our mood. And it's not bad to say, like, I feel like I'm crazy and I'm on fire and it's because of menopause, right? So I think, like, teaching what men, what happens in perimenopause and what does that mean for us. And for each person, it can be different as far as symptoms. But also, you know, in Christiane Northrup's book, The Wisdom of Menopause, she talks about how it puts your life under a microscope. And it's kind of like, you know, all your unfinished business is just right there in your face. And I think there's a richness to that that is definitely worth exploring. It kind of goes back to meaning making, right? Like, okay, I'm having this big shift in my life. What does it mean? And what do I want to do moving forward after this shift? And when do you find that it typically starts for women? Because now knowing that perimenopause could last up to 10 years, when can we start expecting, and I know it might vary from woman to woman, when can we start really expecting to see changes in in our our bodies? It really does vary um, a lot. I think the most recent um, age that I saw, I think, was 52 for menopause. Mm-hmm. Uh, the average, but um, but you know you could be in your 30s and have perimenopause. And then the other thing to consider, like what happened for me, is I w- was in the art of like I was put into menopause. Yeah, so, so it was induced. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I tried to do a menopause support group or something when I was 40, and I had my picture on the flyer. And I think there were some people who were like, "What do you know about menopause?" <laughs> so we assume that it's only for people who are older, but there might be people for various reasons who yes. have it when they're younger. So, um, but you know, perimenopause can last for 10 years, and so it could start in your 30s or 40s. But menopause is actually when you have not had a period for 12 consecutive months, then that is technically menopause. So um, what we usually call menopause is actually perimenopause, the hot flashes Mm -hmm. and all the stuff. Because once you haven't had a period for 12 months, most of the symptoms um, abate. And then you get different symptoms because you're not having cycles anymore. But Yeah. And I wonder about women advocating for themselves. So it seems like, and I have received some communication from women who are going through menopause just through my platform. And I wonder, so when you see someone who may be presenting some of those symptoms, is the first step usually to see their their doctor, primary care physician, or maybe their OBGYN? Um, What is usually your first, um, your first step, your first cause of, you know, cost of action? I definitely send people to their OBGYN. I think um, I'm kind of a, I'm, I favor specialists. I think if you have a problem, like I want to go to the person who knows the most about that issue. But yeah, definitely, you know, looking at the health concerns, if I suspect that maybe someone is having some perimenopause symptoms, definitely the number one thing like let's figure out if that's what that is um and then go from there it's a really good step so let's talk about just the actual symptoms so i know for some people they may experience um you know let's say maybe 
issues with their, their genitals, maybe vaginal dryness. How does that come into play with, and I know a lot of your work is expanding the idea of sex. Um, so, you know, when someone presents something like a, a symptom like that and you're wondering, well, you know, have you seen your gynecologist or your primary care physician to see what else is going on? Um, what is usually maybe your next step in, in supporting them with that, especially when it shows up in, in their relationships? Well, yeah, from a sexual health perspective, like how is it interfering with the sexual activities that they want to do? And then if we have the assumption that everybody deserves pleasure, which I definitely have that assumption, then how, like what information or education do I need to provide to help them find pleasure in a different way or pleasure again or you know like if it's vaginal dryness like i think we need to just normalize lube right lube for everyone <laughs> like you know um but i like i can remember and when i was younger thinking that that was only for people who basically weren't doing it right like if if you're doing it right you don't need that and that was totally not correct information yeah. right so False. um there are all of these stigmas that keep us from having really great pleasurable sex lives. So a huge part of my job is helping people figure out like what's going on and then how can we accommodate that and we could still have pleasure. For sure. So in your work and of course your life experience, what's one thing you come across that you wish more women just knew about their sexual health? I wish more women knew about the anatomy of their clitoris. And that it's not just a teeny little nub, but it's actually this beautiful, very much larger than we think structure that wasn't even fully uh, understood until 2005, which blows my mind. That's only 16 years ago. <laughs> um, so um, that is that. And just that pleasure is our birthright and we deserve it. And um, we all have a right to it. And what about illness? So, you know, it seems as if it's it's inevitable as we begin to age, just some things are just not going to function the way it, it, it usually, you know, it does or did. Um, so I wonder um, when you speak with women, young women, maybe, um, how do you maybe start to create that, not expectation, but, kind of normalizing like, yeah, this could happen, you know, this could happen and, and how to really live a balanced life around that. Well, I think that like, again, going back to the sexual health principles and if we teach young women that they have a right to pleasure and if you have great communication with your partners and you can that part. <laughs> explore, then if something isn't working, you can just change it. That there, that that it is normative for things to change. Thing, even when you're 20, things could be different one day from the next, actually. So, um, but if you have that really great, healthy foundation and you have good communication with your partner or partners, um, then whatever happens, you just pivot to what you need to pivot to. And, and we know for some people that's that's easier than for others. And I'm starting to see a little bit of that. And in my practice, um, actually recently, um, started seeing a cancer survivor and, um, we're just, you know, exploring all of that. And I think it's, 
it's a new life, really. Like it's it's a whole new version of yourself that you kind of have to re-examine and examine and just re-getting to know yourself all over again. That's what it seems like. For sure. And also grieving the fact that the life that you had is not coming back. Also, some parts that you had or... I vividly remember the night before I got my port put in because it's on the other part of my chest. Um, I went to dinner and I wore a low-cut dress and I remember all night thinking this is the last time I'm ever going to go out without a scar on my chest. And there's a lot of grieving for what is lost or what's gained that you don't want, like scars. This is why we need counselors who can talk to people about that and not minimize because there's a lot of meaning like to that scar on my chest right now people see it and I know because I can see them looking at it and thinking you know why is that there what is that about so not minimizing but really understanding the grief that can come about is important thank you for sharing that how do you think therapists um can can best support so let's say for someone who does not specialize in oncology and chronic illness uh, like you do um, how do you feel like they can best support women? And um, I also wonder what questions can they add to the investigative or Socratic dialogues um, that can provide more meaning or guide their clients to to more meaning in, in their life post-treatment? Well, I think, you know, asking directly if there's a sense of loss, um, asking if they have felt understood or misunderstood, you know, what have people said to them that bothered them, that can be a great guidepost for where to go, you know, and also figuring out how could you honor this, having had this experience. Like, I think art therapy is really helpful for survivors uh, coming out of treatment. Um, But that meaning-making piece is so important, and other people want to try to make that meaning for survivors and um, I call it making someone else's lemonade like you can't make somebody else's lemonade they got to figure it out so counselors can come alongside and and help with that and provide a container for that and not be afraid to really listen to someone talking about their fear of death or um, their pain and um, just be with them in it as the people are trying to figure out how to make their lemonade. What questions usually do you, what other, so that that's great, um, but I wonder if you have like specific um, like maybe go-to questions so maybe for a therapist listening right now and wanting to, to add a few more of um, just those investigative questions, do you have like some go-to ones? Yeah, um, something to the effect of, like, as you think about what you've been through with cancer treatment, what feelings stand out to you about your treatment, um, about your body, uh, about your sexuality. Also, I am an EMDR practitioner, and so I usually uh, help them pull out one or two of the most traumatic, like, moments of time and... um, we do EMDR processing on that, and that can be really helpful. So those, like, how does it affect your sexuality? How does it affect your relationship, um, including friendships? Um, so looking at, you know, the person's support system and how, yes. mm-hmm. um, how all those things are affected. How does it, how did your cancer experience impact your work life? And for me, I changed 
careers after. So if the person is still working, how did it affect their work life? Um, yeah, that's good. That's good. Yeah. So will you provide, will you continue to provide trainings? Because <laughs> I think what you did at the summit, that was really impactful. And, and for me, as in uh, a young clinician, so I wonder if that's something you plan on continuing. Um, I think that can be valuable. Yes, I actually have a, a day-long training that I did a couple of years ago in Washington State for some counselors up there, and I do plan to do a virtual one of those um, this year and offer um, CEUs for counselors. Um, I love that. Thank you. <laughs> I really, I love teaching. Before I was a counselor, I was a yoga teacher, and I it is important to me. So, yes, I do plan to do that later in the year. Yes, and honestly, it's needed. And as long as you're doing it, I will be attending it. <laughs> yes, and I think that counselors can be afraid to ask or bring it up. And then I think when people are, it's just like with sex, when people are afraid to talk about it or bring it up, then um, people who are struggling just feel really lonely and isolated. And as counselors, we need to be able to ask those questions and bring it up. Like, that's our job. But I think counselors who haven't been through cancer treatment are afraid because they don't know, um, which makes sense. So I think that's why doing these trainings and talking about it is so important um, so that other counselors can not feel intimidated to ask. Exactly. Well, thank you for doing the work. <laughs> yes, sir. And I thank hope you. A lot of us follow, follow suits and, and just get that training um, whenever you provide them. So how do you continue to learn um, in order to stay on top of, you know, just your knowledge and, you know, how do you keep up with time? <laughs> yes. Um, I am currently doing my sex therapy training process. So I have a supervisor. Um, Dr. Yamante Cooper is my supervisor. I love him. And so I meet with him and we talk about my cases or just issues relating to sex therapy in general. And I also am in group supervision for that. Um, and then, you know, my, my reading and coursework. Um, but I am a lifelong learner. Like if there were such a thing as a job where you just went to college all the time, Me so too. <laughs> always looking for trainings. I love um, synchronous trainings happening in real time. So I'll continue to always do those. Yeah, and I especially love um, the trainings and conferences Sexual Health Alliance puts on. I think it's a great space to to learn and grow and have our minds opened. <laughs> I agree. It has been a really great experience. So what have you read or listened to recently that has inspired you? Uh, Come As You Are um, by Emily Nagoski. Um, I have a book, Anti-Diet, uh, that I also love, which isn't directly related to sex therapy but it kind of is just because it speaks to body image and so that's another book that I've really loved lately um podcasts I mostly listen to true crime podcasts because I live in an state so um always like my favorite murder but I do love um the sex and psychology podcast oh yes yeah I think his podcast is great and I like him because his content is very research-based mm -hmm. um, and I appreciate for people who um, maybe want to have a little podcast listen that is directly related to cancer and sex um, there is a great podcast on the Wondery Network called Dying for Sex 
and it is about a woman with metastatic breast cancer and her sex capades. Um, wow. So that's one that I listened to recently. I, I subscribed to that one recently, but I have. I think I started the first episode. I haven't finished it yet because I do a lot of my podcasting while while driving. I suddenly could not do that at home <laughs> with two kids and a husband. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, I love my. I love reserving my drive time for that. <laughs> I use yeah. when I'm walking. So. Oh, nice. Well, I guess I could do more walking. <laughs> <laughs> What advice would you give someone who was wanting to become a therapist and maybe specialize in a very similar niche as you? I would tell them to not interview, but speak with someone who was already doing that niche. Mm-hmm. Um, Always my go-to. <laughs> One thing I learned is that it's important for me to have clients who aren't cancer survivors, too. Like, talking to 20 people a week with cancer would not... That'd be burnout central. (laughs) Yeah, it would not be sustainable for me at all. So, and also, just I have to be careful to protect my own self because I am a cancer survivor. So, uh, but I would tell them, go for it. It's really needed. And also as part of my job, I think advocacy for mental health and funding for mental health is another aspect because it's severely lacking. So, um, so I think they need to be prepared to become advocates as well in that regard. Um, that's for sure. Yeah. That's where a lot of, you know, a lot of the work begins, honestly. For sure. So, where can our listeners connect with you online? I have an Instagram account and it's at brandy.sellers and that's B-R-A-N-D-I-E dot sellers. So through social media, that is my my one counseling venue. Um, and then um, they can text or call me 972-244-3262. And I'm also listed on Therapy Den, um, which is a great uh, counseling network online um, that is very LGBTQ positive and um, it's a great therapist directory so that's Therapy Den Well thank you so much Brandy for sharing your knowledge and your experience with us today uh, I I love that I know people like you and I have people like you in my phone my phone book if you still call it uh, that um just to connect with and um, just to pull from your resources, um, especially on, on cancer and chronic illness and, and menopause, because those things show up very often in, in the work we do. So thank you. Well, thank you, Jana. Yeah. So to our listeners, thank you so much for joining us this week on Her Sexual Space. For more information on this week's topic, check us out on Instagram at Her Sexual Space Podcast and visit our website at www.hersexualspace.com.